Okay, um, in, uh, we're in a series, second week in worship, and I think you'll enjoy today. Um, I'm going to go a long way to try to make a point right off the beginning, so I'll show you something in a minute. But um, w- want to, uh, I guess, what your appetite. Ladies have the thing coming up with Rita Springer. Um, here's probably the best way to say it. Western culture probably is the one culture that does not have a rite of passage for young men and young women into adulthood. I mean, really, the only thing we have is you turn 18 or you turn 21, okay, you're an adult. But how many of you know that turning 18 or 21 has no more to make you an adult? And You know what I mean? It's not an age thing, right? Some of it's a spiritual thing. In Jewish culture, when you're 13, there's an actual, the bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvah, right? It's, it's a gathering of people who call a young person into adulthood, into cross that line. It begins here. They don't fully say at 13, you're capable of, I mean, how many of you know the brain's not even fully formed at 13, right? But there's a rite of passage where you're marking, you begin to leave childhood behind and now you're moving into this other part of your life. It's a powerful experience. It's a necessary And what many uh, young men and young women struggle with is the idea of what it means to become an adult. And you see that and then they make commitments they're not ready for. Or they never leave childhood behind. Things I want to say about that, but I don't want to be offensive to anybody in the room that would fall into that. So here's here's what this is. Uh, Pastor Jake has a real passion for this. I do too. And our men's ministry director, Gary Vogt, does too. And so uh, on January 22nd, it's 5 o'clock, it's a Sunday afternoon, in the Youth Worship Center, Jake and Gary are going to teach on how do you do this for your son. Now, obviously, we need to do it for daughters too, but this is for men, and so we're talking to young men. You might want to bring your son to that. You might want to, if um, if you say, well, I'm past that, Will you ever have a grandchild? And if you're like, Jake stands up here every time we do baby dedications and says it takes a church. And I know that people, they stretch their hands out and they pray. Beyond that, how do we ever help? Do you know that the number one single family units in the world are in America? Single moms, mostly, single dads. America has that distinction. I think that goes more into... Just because you can have a kid doesn't mean that you're not a kid. Especially it doesn't mean you're a man or a woman, right? So what's that line? How do you get there? What does that look like? And if that just appeals to you in any way, shape, or form, I think you should be there. Jake's going to be teaching on that. I think you'd get a lot out of it. I don't mean to um, to over-emphasize like, that, but I know in our own lives, there was a rite of passage for each of our sons and for each of our daughters that were significant things that went with that, that we still refer back to today. And I think it's just having that, there's just something in your head and in your spirit, in your heart, in your life, that's important for you to be able to draw back on. And maybe you're like, well, I never got it, and I turned out fine. Um, Maybe you did. Uh, (laughs) Maybe. But my real issue would be, just because you didn't give it, get it, does that mean you can't give it? So who does the curse end with? Like when we're just going, well, I didn't get it, so I can't do it. Who does the curse end? Then it's going to perpetuate in your son and daughter. So what I didn't get, maybe by birthright, can I do because I now have the Holy Spirit in my life? 
Does that make sense? And yes, you can, and yes, you can help with this. And so I would just encourage you, if you need to pray about it, of course, pray about it. But if you know it touches your heart, please be there. I think you'll find it uh, interesting. And then just this one last thing on Thursday, just kind of an impromptu thing last week, and I had said, hey, we're going to fast this week. I hope that some of you did that. We're going to soak this week. I know that some of you did that. Um, and then we'll gather on Thursday for those who have time. And I know not everybody in our church had time, so this is no indictment. But here's what was cool. Uh, right between 25 and 30% of our church showed up on Thursday. We had 300 people here on Thursday just who came to worship and just to seek God's face. And it was so cool in that a lot of people who never, ever have ever stood up and prayed over anything, sought the Lord publicly, were doing that. I was so proud of that. But the night ended, um, Kim Wood just felt like she had a word over young people. So she invited all the young people in the room to come forward. So we had a lot of our teens here and a lot of the children here. And uh, Kim is over the, the children's department and does a fantastic job. And then Ari and Kayla, who aren't in here right now, but they're over our teens. And I, there was probably 100 of them, I guess, 80 to 100 kids that were in here. So out of the 300, a lot of young people in this room. One little kid came up, and he was prophesying. It was, it was powerful, man. It was just powerful. I was just blown away. But we just prayed over them and prayed for them, and they were just worshiping and going for God. It was a cool night. I want to do more of those. I want to have times where it's not built around an agenda other than just seeking the face of the Lord, right? I think a church that does that is doing the right thing, and just proud of that, and just wanted to say congratulations on that. And I hope next time, if you weren't able, you'll be able to join us. Okay, we're in a series on worship. Started it just last week, so if this is your first week hearing it, you can always go to jfc.org, and everything that we teach is on there, and it's free, and you can listen to it. It's all cataloged uh, on there. So if you missed the first week, go back and listen. It might help you because it talked about the preparation of the heart. I'm going to go a little further this week into teaching an idea that worship encompasses, but to get there, uh, I need to kind of do and make a point first. So I'll make two statements to you. Uh, see if you can agree with these things. Now, I'm assuming in this room this morning, are, most of us are believers. That's why we're here this morning. Some of us in this room are not believers. You've been invited in here, and you're checking it out, and that's awesome. We welcome you. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're checking it out. Ask any question that you'd like. I'm happy to answer it. Any pastor's happy to answer it. If you go to first five uh, that Jake talked about for people who are new in the church and you have a question about anything theologically, you have a question about what we believe about the Bible or uh, something that you feel strong about and passionate about, please, uh, Pastor Jake or Pastor Daniel will be in there to answer those questions. And if they can't do it, nobody can. Yeah, so uh, go see them. But I, I, I just want to welcome you this morning. And then maybe some of you are here this morning. Jubilee's not your home church. You're a believer. But maybe you're about to hear some things that you've never thought about or been challenged with. And so just ask to all together, you just prepare your heart and just have an open heart as I, I, uh, as I talk. So here, here's my first statement. You were created to worship. So one of the foremost reasons of your existence today is not biological purposes only. It's not just because your mom and dad loved each other. It's not just because, like, you know, evolution happened and here I am. Don't believe that. I believe that you exist because your life contains something that this generation needs or you're not here. I believe in the intentionality of the creator. And I believe that part of the reason for creation, I'm going to show you this from scripture, part of the reason that we were created is to know God and to make him known. Amen. And ultimately, how do we do that? We bear the image of God. I'll prove it from scripture real quick. This is Genesis 1:27. God created mankind in his own what? Image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created 
them. So God created man and he created woman. And listen to this. That means that man and woman both have the attributes of God. Now, when he says he created us in his image, you cannot strictly go fingers and arms and hair and teeth and eyes. That is not the way to understand the scripture. Understand it more as we were created with certain attributes. God is a spirit. And those who worship him, worship him in spirit. We don't worship an idol. We don't worship a statue. Right? We worship, he's a spirit. He can't be seen that way. He's touched with your spirit and heard in your heart. But he is real and he created us to worship. We bear the image of God. We have certain abilities, uh, certain things that God, for instance, of all of creation, I've taught this before, of all of creation, we're the only ones who have been given the ability to actually create things. Uh, lions and tigers, when they make whatever they make to lay in at nighttime, they never consider, do I need to have a two-bedroom or a three-bedroom or do I need a roof over it? Birds, a bird nest has not changed in the last 5,000 years. You agree with that? How much has architecture changed in the last 100 years? How much have cars changed in the last 50 years? How much have engines changed in the last two years? You get what I'm saying? We have this ability by God. God is creative, and he gave us the ability to be creative. We create when we speak. There's power in our words. There's power in the work of our hands. We have the attributes and abilities of God. So we were, we were minted, is another word, in the image of God. Jesus pulls on this idea when he's asked a question about taxes. Maybe you're familiar with the scripture, but look at what Jesus pulls from. He pulls from the creation account of God making man in his own image, and then he brings out a further truth. So later they sent some of the Pharisees, this is Mark 12, 13 through 70. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch Jesus, uh, to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. They're flattering him, right? They don't only believe this, they're flattering him. Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And then here's the question after they butter him up. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Like E.F. Hutton, everybody leans forward right now like, woo, maybe this helps me with the IRS this year. <laughs> Jesus knew their what? And he even asked them this question. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. And then look at the brilliant answer. Bring me a denarius, a coin, a coin of that day, of that time. 2,000 years ago, Rome is the power of the world. Rome mints the coins. These are the ones that is spent as, this is cash, right? This is the American dollar of the time. This is good anywhere in the Roman world. So bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them the simple question, whose image is this and whose inscription is on the coin? Caesar's, they replied, bring an answer. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. And they're amazed at his answer, at him. And my point would be to ask you, on that coin at that time was Caesar's likeness and an inscription that had his name. And so Jesus is simply saying, if this is minted in Caesar's image, give to him what belongs to him. But then he says, give to God what belongs to him. What is minted in the image of God? You know what I heard? It's really not a hard question. What's minted in the image of God? We, I am, you are, we are. We are minted in the image of God. In other words, listen to this, we are image bearers. Do you agree with that? 
When we're in right relationship with God, and this is why the enemy works so hard to disconnect you from right relationship. When you are in right relationship with God, you reflect the reality of a different reality. When Jesus was on top of the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible says that in that great story, Peter, John, and James are with him. Uh, He's on top of the mountain. Moses shows up. Elijah shows up. Peter, hey, should we build tents for these guys? Not that they didn't just come from heaven, Peter. Should we build tents for them? I wonder if Jesus just kind of was like... (laughs) But then the Bible says that the Spirit of God was in the midst of the cloud, and Jesus began to glow like the sun. So that story is called the Mount of Transfiguration. He transfigured. What is the transfiguration? Jesus is reflecting the reality of another reality. Jesus is an image bearer. Does that make sense? When he was born on this earth, he came as a man minted in the image of God. We are image bearers. Now, to prove my point about this, I take this serious. Ultimately, if you're a Christ follower, the number one reason you exist on this earth is that you are to bear the image of Jesus to the world. The only Jesus that most people will ever know is the one that calls him Lord. The only hands they may ever feel, the only words they may ever hear, the only kindness they may ever experience may come from the hands minted in the image of Jesus today. It's like when Jake talks about giving and you just think, you feel disconnected like they're going to do all these things and here I sit in here. God keeps excellent records, the Bible tells us. And that the things you partner with, he is not a human. This is what the Bible says. He is not a human that he should forget the good work that you have done for his people. He keeps great records. And whether you go, whether you pray, whether you give, whether you're just like you're cheering, it all goes together to make the thing a reality. We're bearing the image of God. We're a part of it. Does that make sense? Now, um, to prove this to you and to kind of get something across to you, because maybe you sit here today and you think, okay, I love Jesus, but I don't know that that's really what my purpose in life is. It's not your only purpose, but it's your main purpose, to be honest with you. If you're a Christ follower, and if you're not a Christ follower, to show you, Ecclesiastes says that God has put the eternity, uh, put eternity in the hearts of all men to show you that inside of us is this need to bear an image. By the way, because you were created for worship, real quick, look at me, you will worship something. You, and it, let me break it down. You will either worship the creator or you will worship what is created. You will worship the creator or you will worship what is created. That's just big picture. Worship, just a quick definition for worship. It's a, we pull it from an older word that means to show worthship. So that when we worship something, we worship it because there's worth to it. We're showing worth and we're giving value to it. And we all do that with things in our life. Most of it's harmless. But when God doesn't have first place in your life, you'll end up identifying with something that will become your identity. And then you'll bear the image of that thing. That's why people whose sexuality is their identity bear the image of sexuality, whatever that happens to be. There's multiple today. Has there ever been a time in our world where people were more confused on identity than they are right now? And whatever they identify with, a man says, I'm a woman, so he begins to look like. Or a woman says, I'm a man, and he begins to look like. You mumbled again. A man. 
I know a person in this church who sees themselves as chronically sick. And you know what they look like every time I see them? Someone who is very sick. You bear the image of the thing that you identify with. Do you understand? Hmm. Now, in a smaller way, this is harmless, not a big deal. Uh, I just went in my closet. In my closet, I think, according to my closet, there are four things that I identify with. <laughs> All of us, listen to me, whether you put a bumper sticker on your car, a hat on your head, a t-shirt that you wear, a place that you live, a car that you drive, a motto that you keep. We came back from Hawaii one time. We brought back more bumper stickers. We identified with Hawaii. Back of our car. Like you'd have thought, those people are Hawaiian. No, those are two white Hallies that went to Hawaii. With. If you don't know what a Hallie is, go to Hawaii and you'll find out. Um, so I looked in my closet just to find like, okay, let me prove this. This is, this is harmless. Uh, if, if you do this, it's harmless. But my point is simply... All of us, nobody wants to stand without an image. We all adopt an image because we're image bearers. Yeah. Okay, so in my closet, right, well, this is actually from my best friend's closet. Uh, this says national champions, Georgia. I told them if they brought it, I'd show it off to them uh, for them this morning. So to David, who won the national championship. Yes, to Melson. Okay. If you go to their house like we did on Monday, you will find out what the term fanatic actually, <laughs> actually means. I won't go any further than that right there. Okay, in my closet are... I got this jersey because he attended here one time, and I'm just hanging on to it because when he comes back, he's going to sign this jersey. Um, but I've got nugget stuff. Go for the nugs right now. I've got avalanche stuff. Yeah, they did. Seven nothing, but they're in, but they'll turn it around, right? I do not have any Colorado Rocky stuff whatsoever. I am just, I, I can't, my, my system can't take it anymore. So I just, but I do have the, and now, you know, I'm not bringing this because they're in the playoffs, but here, how about this? Hope springs eternal in the heart of a Bronco fan. We're going to get a new coach who's going to turn everything around. We're going to be in the playoff. Yeah. Woo. You never felt Pentecostal to Woo. Lord. I feel it. Yes. <laughs> so in my closet are all of these things. Now, it, this, is, this is harmless, but I love to pull this out and wear it. Because when I wear it, I'm bearing the image of something that I am excited about. Yes or no? It's harmless. I'll worship this. Although, you know, there are some people who... They have altars in their house. And they bend the knee to it. And their life is built on if the team's doing good or the team's doing bad. We can't afford that because our lives would be doing bad in a last set. No, no, let's not. Okay, also, I identify as a golfer. My closet is filled with golf shirts. How many of you know having a golf shirt does not make you a golfer? Just like having golf clubs does not mean you know what you are doing. And I've fallen into the trap. If I could just buy the right club, I know I could actually be good. 
I am Callaway's favorite poster boy. So my closet is filled with this because I identify part of me as a golfer. So when I present myself like Daniel, my son Daniel, like Daniel, Daniel is one foot away from idol worship at this point <laughs> in his life. Where are you, Daniel? Are you in here right now? You might be counting. Yeah. He, Daniel loves golf and I'm having a little bit of fun with him. But just so I identify and I wear these when I'm going to play golf and display them proudly because, man, I see myself part of it. Why not wear a shirt that doesn't have anything on it? Because it doesn't bear what I'm excited about. Does it make sense? Um, so let me give you another one. I, my closet was divided up into four, four parts. Um, oh, here, this one. Uh, most of you that have been around any length of time will recognize this one. I ride Harleys, have had many of them over the years, used a lot of them to raise money for missions, but my closet is full of Harley stuff because I play a pastor here, but I'm really a motorcycle rider. <laughs> a tough guy who wears leathers all around. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And what's funny is I'm really proud of, I'm just like walking down the street like, what has it ever done for you? Oh, it's made me poor. <laughs> you know what HD stands for? $100, because every time you go in there, you go spend $100 on something. Comes with a whole lifestyle with it. It's really interesting. And people who can't keep that in check, dude, they really sell out to motorcycles. I actually sold one one time because Chris said, you're spending way too much time with your girlfriend. I said, okay, can't have an affair. Uh, this then is the other one. I've talked about this recently. So uh, this is a surfboard company and I grew up a surfer and I still see myself as that right there. I still have the surf trunks that were size 29. <laughs> when I was 15 years old, I've come a long way since that, <laughs> since that day. But I still wear these. I, how far are we from an ocean? 1,200 miles? Too far from an ocean. Yeah, too far from an ocean. Now, I, it's been a long time since I've actually been on a surfboard. It's probably been 10 years since I've been on a surfboard too, but I still wear it like, hey, I'm a surfer. You know, right? And I, so we just identify with something and I'm having a good time with it and it's all harmless. Nothing's wrong with it. I had a kid last night wearing um, the, the Bass Pro Shop hat and he presents himself as an outdoorsman. You're wearing a CU cap. What does that say about you? Hmm. Big character. Big character, but now we got a coach. And we're going to be national champions again. The McCartney years are finally coming back, baby. It's all, come on, Neon Dion. But he went to CU. Jake's a CU guy and is cheered for CU. And so presents himself as, it's one of the things, it's just an image. Do you get it? We all bear the image of something. Law school, this is a lawyer. We all do it. Nike, a whale. I don't know what that means exactly. What is that? I've got a Vineyard Vine shirt. It's part of my surfing collection. Magical? Are you a magician? No. <laughs> we all bear the image of something. We have it on our car. What we drive, what we talk about, what we listen to. You know, the other thing I did, I had one other thing. I have a lot of rock t-shirts in my, but I didn't feel like I should come and show those off here. At the, <laughs> it's because a lot of them are bands you probably wouldn't 
wouldn't have the class to even know about. So we'll just... <laughs> it's all music that you shouldn't listen to. Um, all right, here's my point. Listen real quickly. What we identify with will become the image that we like to bear. Okay, here's what makes worship so powerful. Worship is transformative. Then when you worship the Lord, you identify with him. And when you identify him, you are becoming more like Jesus. We're the image bearers. Worship is not something that we set aside for 30 or 32 minutes in a worship service and we sing a souf. Because if you ask me, what's worship? Worship's what we do at the beginning part of our service. Worship is how you live your life. Worship is how you present yourself. Worship is what you believe to be true. Worship is why you do certain things, and worship is also why you don't do certain things. Right? You don't need a list. You just need to worship God. And the Bible says he'll write his laws on your heart. You'll become more and more like him. Worship is transformative. So if you get that idea that we are image bearers, we are all called to bear the image of something, and when you don't get that God comes first in that, eventually what you identify with will become the thing that you ultimately worship, and you'll become like that thing. Okay, Jesus was asked a really important question, and if you love God, then this kind of should stick out in your head. Here's the question that he's asked. Pull it up for me. This is Matthew 22, 36 through 38, teacher. Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses. In other words, most important should get your attention. Should make you lean forward and pay attention a little bit. Jesus is being asked, what's the most important thing? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your? All your? All your? The first and greatest commandment is this. And if you know that scripture, he said, the second is like it. It's not first, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. And then he goes on to say this. All of the law of Moses is fulfilled in those two things. Love God with everything you got and love people like you love yourself. You do that and you're fulfilling the law of God. Isn't that interesting? They're trying to keep 613 laws and he's telling them, if you do these two, you're keeping everything altogether. But let's talk about the most important where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. We're made up of three parts. I've taught this for years. All three work together to make the whole person. If one of the three struggles, suffers, if one of the three is off, if one of the three is abandoned, if one of the three is ignored, if one of the three is hurt, it affects the other two. Christians are great at paying attention to spirit and generally mind, but a lot of times ignore the body. I think it comes from teaching of old that the body was somehow evil. Can I just say something? This is the body you get on this earth. Take care of it. Take care of this body. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not something you abuse. It's not something you ignore. It's holy unto God. So your three parts, a heart, a soul, and a mind. I'll just prove this to you real quick. Emotionally, mentally, when you're depressed, when you're struggling, when you're down, when, you, when you're underneath a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, how does it make you feel physically? Tired? Down? How does it make you feel? Worn out? So, so when you're down emotionally, how excited are you to pray? Now, so let's go this way. When your body is suffering... Maybe you're dealing with a sickness. Uh, maybe there's something else going on. Maybe it's a long-term issue. 
Maybe you're just hurting. Maybe you're worn out physically. How does that make you feel spiritually? It affects it. How does it make you feel emotionally? It affects it. How about when you're in pain, how does that make you feel emotionally? Like they affect each other. We just never consider this. And spiritually, when you are under attack spiritually, you know it makes you feel a certain way physically, right? And it also makes you see the world a certain way emotionally. All three need to be running the right way. Now, that's another message for another time, but my point is, Jesus said, here's the most important commandment. Love the Lord. Another word for love could be worship because worship is love responding to love. So you could put the word love or worship the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. So how do you engage your heart in worship? If he says, love the Lord your God with all, give him everything you got, how do you do it with your heart? What I wrote for heart is passion. You ever heard the word put your heart into it? Last night, my wife goes, put your heart into it like that. It was the cutest thing. I never saw her do that before. Yeah, put your heart into it like that. Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's do it one more time. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me tell you how people in 2023 live. Where my heart is is where my treasure's going to be. Because people today don't tell the heart, here's what you need to do. They say the heart wants what the heart wants. Ever heard that one? Can't argue with the heart. That's what it wants. That's what it wants. If you live your life that way, you are living a sloppy, up and down, messed up life. Jesus gives a secret here. Where your treasure is, you'll find your heart. Not where you find your heart, there's your treasure. It's intentional, it's on purpose, there's no accidents with him. So let's do this in things that we can understand. I do a lot of weddings, have people come to me, hey, um, here, we got a young couple that just got married. (laughs) Did you come and say, hey, pastor, we hate each other, could you marry us? (laughs) You sure hope not, and you go, yeah? That's not, you're a joker. Okay, you got married because... You love each other, right? You like each other. You get along really well. I mean, you didn't say, hey, we have a lot of trouble getting along. Would you please marry us so that we can live together and fight a lot? We're just like so excited about that. So it is like people come and say, I'm using marriage just so we can get our mind around this and engaging our heart. So a lot of times what happens to couples is it begins this way. You're passionate. You engage them intellectually. You engage them emotionally and you engage them physically, yes or no? And nothing wrong with this. This is how you do it. You engage this way. God created it this way. And you are passionate about them. You're holding hands. You're kissing. Yes. (laughs) Travis, did you kiss Allie? Do you still kiss Allie? Good job, my friend. All the time. Good job. So here's what happens. You start out doing certain things. You date. You hang out. You're affectionate with each other. And if you're not careful to maintain that part of the relationship, this is what can happen in a marriage. You end up doing business as. You're living under the same roof. You're emotionally connected, but there's no heart fire. So then this couple 
who came and said, we love each other. We want to spend our time with each other. We want to serve each other. Not this couple, but a couple like this couple (laughs) will come and say a reverse thing. I can't get along with this person. No one ever said to me when they're getting married, I can't get along with this person. You can get along with that person. You just forgot how to get along with that person. My heart's not in it anymore. I'm, I love them, but I'm not. Ooh, you know the culture. I love them, but I'm not in love with them. It's really, I, I, get, I get what you're saying. Your feelings, I get it. Your feelings are saying that to you. Have you ever been lied to by your feelings? So this is the point of why you're, wherever your treasure is there, make that person, make that thing your treasure. I usually tell people the cure for the way you feel, go back and do the things you used to do. Yeah, but man, we're in our 50s now. You are not too old to date. You are not too old to hold hands. We held hands all this weekend on the couch watching football games. Every time she got up, I got a kiss. Every time she came back, I got a kiss. Why? Because I never want that fire to go out. We went to Maui recently. Spent that time there. Great expense. Why? Because my marriage is something I never want to take for granted. It gives me some level of authority to stand up here and teach this right now. Because it is possible. Listen, we looked at pictures just the other day of what we looked like 40 plus years ago was different. Was different. I had far more hair. Been so disappointed about my hair recently. I ask Chris every day, does it look, I just, I I know I'm going to end up with a little island right here and I don't want that. So if you've got one, I'm not letting my eyes land anywhere. I bless you. But I'm, I literally pray in the shower, God, please, no more hair. No more. Come on. You raise the dead, raise it back up. You think I'm kidding. I literally call on the Lord in that. So we were looking at each other. In fact, uh, Katie gave us a picture of our, our prom picture. Chris and I went to prom together, sitting in the back of a limo. She's dressed up and I'm dressed up. We're looking at each other and we're holding hands. God, we were so young. So young, just a couple of years away from marriage from when that picture was taken right there. And we're still doing those same things. And it's still funny, no matter how we look, we still feel the same way about each other. When I see her, she's still the girl that lights my fire. Okay? She's still the girl. And I'm still the guy. And yep, we know. We can see. We're not trying to get you to kiss us. We just want to be kissing each other and being with each other. And it's funny that what you make your treasure, look at me, I'm speaking to somebody right now. What you make your treasure is where your heart will always stay. And we also have gone through times where we've let this drift a little bit. And you know what's hard? It's hard to get back to yeah. here. It's true. You have to work almost twice as hard to get back to here. Yeah. It's much easier to stay in this position than it is to get over here and get back. Now, it can be done. Yes. Look at me. It can be done, but it's harder to do it. And some people then just give, I, it's just too hard. But it's worth it. It's worth it. 
the kingdom of God does good when you do that. Hear me in that. And that's not to say if you're sitting here and something came apart in a marriage that you're not an image bearer of God. You certainly are. Not every situation is like ours. But I don't think it's because we were lucky. I think it's because we were intentional. But we also love Jesus very much. When you have that, you can work with a lot of things. If you don't have that in a marriage, it makes it very difficult to work sometimes. Because it always takes two people who want to do it, right? Yeah, that's right? One can wake up and go, I'm done. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for the other one to change that person's mind. And generally, can I just say one more thing about this and then I'll go to where I want to go in my message. Generally, a person never wakes up and says, I'm done in one night. They've woke up many mornings feeling that way. And men are notorious for saying, I had no idea she felt that way. Because you've drifted. You've drifted. And I'm not doing this to expose anybody. I'm not doing this to be mean. I'm your pastor and I love you. And what I hope it would do is provoke you to go home and ask hard questions. Where are we at and what are we doing? And does it need to change? Change it when you can. Fixing it is much cheaper than a divorce. Hmm. Okay, Pastor, why are you teaching this? I'm trying to give you something to get your head around. You use your heart. And Jesus said that the most important thing is to love God with all of your heart. Most of us love to engage God intellectually, but kind of hold back when it comes to engaging Him with our heart. And Jesus said the most important way to love or worship God is to do it with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So I'm saying to you, you're made up of three parts. And if all all three don't work together, it messes up the other two. I just proved it to you. You worship God with all three parts. And if all you do it was with one or two, you're messing up the other two. Worship is coming. Worship will be nothing more. Let's get through this and get to the word. Why? Because you prefer the intellectual stimulation as opposed to engaging with your heart and emotions. Thank you for that huge Oh, the light comes on. I don't know if I want to agree. A lot of it's based on the way we were raised too, by the way. Noah, we're raised in places where you never used your heart. You only used your intellect. And so we grow up with a particular mindset that it's only the intellect that God is trying to reach. God created your intellect. You never have to check your brain at the door. He wants to reach you intellectually, but he also created your heart. So let me give you proof of this. The book of Revelations, there are seven letters written to end-time churches, Jesus is the author of each letter. And here's one of the things that he says to end-time churches, literally, literally written to end-time churches. I know all the things you do, and I'm very proud of them. You don't give in to wickedness. You spotted who Jezebel was, and you didn't let that in. All these good things he lists, but then he goes, I have this one thing I'm going to hold against you. And I mean, Jesus is saying one thing. Here we are, the most important. One, pay attention. Am I doing this then? If you love Jesus, are you doing this? You have lost your first love. And then he says this. Look at the heights from which you've fallen. In other words, how much has changed since when you first came to me and where you are right now? I bet when you first met the Lord, there was passion in your heart for Jesus. I bet there was something in there that got a hold of your heart, not just your mind. And if you don't make that a priority, just like in marriage, you drift. The Bible actually says, pay attention and all the more carefully because we can drift. It 
doesn't happen overnight. We drift slow, all, so slow that you almost don't know what's happened until you're a long way from where you're supposed to be. So go back. Here's Jesus' advice. You've lost your first love. I'm holding it against you. Look at the heights from which you've fallen. And then here's his advice. Go back and do the things you used to do. Same advice that I give to couples. Go back and do the things you used to do. If you used to sit together and hold hands and kiss, go back and do it. If you used to go to the movie together, go to the movie together. If you used to drive together, drive together. If you used to get up early and you talk to each other, you stay up late so you could be together, go back and do those things. Do the first things. Instead of letting your heart tell you what to do, tell your heart, here's what we're going to do. Make sense? So I'm giving you a secret right now that if you'll apply it, it will work. But you have to overcome your pride to make this work. And if you've never done this fully with your heart, then you have to make a decision. Thank you for the flag. Love it. It's in my office right now. Super thrilled with it. Sorry. Just wanted to. Somebody gave me a cool cat gift for my birthday. Go back and do the first things you used to do. What did you used to do when you first served Jesus? Did you engage in worship? Did you read more? Did you talk to him more? Were you more excited about him? Did you consider what he wanted? Were there things you didn't do because you were an image bearer? That through time and space, you've allowed yourself to do and you find yourself now, the result of it is that your heart is far away from the Lord. Not your mind. So is this a heaven or hell issue? I don't think it's heaven and hell. I'm not the judge of that. I don't think that's heaven and hell because I don't think we get ourselves to heaven. I think it's Jesus' job to get us to heaven. But when he says, I'm counseling you right now, go back and do what you did at first. Because then he says, if you don't, I will remove your lampstand from its place. Now, how long? I, I don't know. But we never take this serious. And I'm telling you, this is, you're an image bearer, and he wants you to bear his image. This is not like, okay, pastor, you know, you're, you're hyped up, and you're a pastor. Of course you feel this way. Dude, I'm a follower of Christ. Before I'm a pastor, I'm a Christ follower. And long after I'm not a pastor, I'm a Christ follower. Do you get it? Well, I, I'm in finance. You're a Christ follower who happens to do finance. And when finance is over, you're a Christ follower. I'm an engineer. You're a Christ follower who's an engineer. And what you don't understand, your image, if your image is an engineer, you're bearing for, it's okay, you identify with that, but that's not what you're supposed to be when it's all said and done. You won't go to heaven and go, hey, where's the engineering section? I need the quiet place. Uh, you heard about the Colorado man who loved his wife so much that he almost told her? There are people who love God so much that they almost give their heart fully. But just kind of hold back because that's not the way I was raised. Can I challenge that orthodoxy in you? Like, if you're mad at me right now, why would you be mad at me? Because I'm messing with your image? Okay, come on. Let's, gotta hurry through this. 
Um, So to bear the image with our whole heart, it says you're loving with all of your soul. Your soul is your spirit. Let me give you this real quickly. Ephesians 3, 16 and 19. I'm just going to prove this to you from scripture, what your soul is. Now, soul in scripture has two definitions. It can mean mind, emotion, and will. But in this case, it's the inner man, right? It's the eternal thing that lives inside of you when you're born again. So this is Paul. I pray that out of the glorious riches, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your what? Inner being. Not your outer being, your inner being. What's your inner being? Your soul. That thing that he, he regenerated, it's brand, you're a new person on the inside. Long after this shell is gone, that thing lives forever. 10,000 years from right now, you, looking just like you, knowing what you know, you will be alive. Yeah. And you will be somewhere in eternity. You choose. You choose. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here's why he wants you to be strengthened in your spirit. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Look at this, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Here's what he's trying to say. This love is massive. This love is not known in one day. A lifetime Eternity may not be long enough to figure out how much Jesus loves us. Think about that, man. What if part of eternity is recognizing when Jesus himself is talking to you how much he loves you? What a conversation that will be. God, I hope God's kind enough to let me be close to hear what he says about some of you. To pastor you here and then to see you there, well done. And to know this love, now here's an oxymoron. To know this love, that, what? Do you see the oxymoron in that? How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Some things can't be known only by definition in the brain. Now you can read a dictionary and get a definition. So if I said to you, what's the definition of love? You could read a dictionary definition, but how many of you know you have to love and be loved to know what love is? Here's another one, fast, F-A-S-T. If I said, tell me what fast means, you could read a definition of fast, but how many of you know you have to go fast or go super slow to know a definition? Some things aren't known here, but they're known inside of you, right? They're known by experience. He's saying, your spirit man I want you to know this, this love, right, that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know what passes knowledge. You have to know it by experience. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness uh, of God. I, I'm going uh, to move real quick into the mind. I'm just going to run out of time here. Mind is your intellect. You're to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Your mind is your intellect. Now, for those of you who are trained to embrace God with your intellect, to approach God with your intellect, bravo, but there's two other parts you're supposed to be giving to him and loving him with all. So your intellect, let me show you about the intellect real quick. Proverbs 19, two. Uh, Desire without knowledge is not good. So you can have passion, desire, but if you don't have a brain, it's not good. So here's the church in America today. 
Either they're all filled with passion and they have little knowledge, or they're all filled with knowledge and they have little passion. A church all filled with passion and no knowledge is on fire, but it's wildfire and it kills everybody. A church with all knowledge and no passion is an icebox. The chosen frozen. You know everything. You've experienced everything. You know the word and you can kill people with it all day long. Yes or no? So I, here's what I'm saying to you. Let's be a church that has knowledge. Let's be a church that has passion. Let's be a church that understands we need to grow in our spirit too. All three of these things we want to engage God with. We're image bearers. This makes sense. Okay, so your heart, your soul, and your mind make up your will. People ask the question all the time, how can there be evil in the world if there is a loving God? Because the loving God gave people free will. You use your will for good or evil every day. Yes or no? The will is so powerful. When God created this earth, he created it perfect. And he put the man and the woman in and he said to them, of every garden, of every tree in the garden, you can freely eat except the knowledge of good and evil because if you eat of this one tree, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna die. And they're like, got you and ran right to the tree. What? Them's us. We use our will to do what we, we a lot of time bear the image of the fallen man. And not the risen man. You will worship something and you ultimately will bear the image of that thing that you identify with. So let me give you, I'm going to contrast King David and Lucifer and how they use their will in worship to the Lord. This is Psalms chapter 9, um, 1 through 2. So King David writes these words. I will praise you, Lord, with all my I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. What you read in that is four statements of David saying, I will. I will not let this go by. No one is going to stop me. I'm not going to be distracted. I will praise you with my whole heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name almost high. Listen to me very quickly. When we come into worship, worship is not about, oh, I like that song. Here, God, let me worship you. Worship is what you come in and bring into the sanctuary, not what you wait for the sanctuary to bring to you. If this church ever captured the power of coming in as the image bearers and telling the worship, I hope you're up to this today. (laughs) Instead of the worship saying, I hope you'll rise up to this today. Could you imagine a church that puts such a demand on the worship team? It's like, that's that's all you got? (laughs) You laugh at that. What does revival look like? What does it look like when God has all of your heart? A few songs are not going to be enough. The miracles of God are going to be necessary. Okay, pastor, where are they? Okay, people, image bearers who love the same God that I do, where are the miracles? When's the last time you put such a demand on it? God, we're not leaving. John, maybe you'll get to preach. We're not sure yet. We'll let you know. But we're expecting God to show up here and do something miraculous. I'll get out of the way, I promise. 
promise. So pastor, what are you saying? It sounds crazy. It sounds like a first century church. What we've settled for is a mental engagement with God. Everybody in their place and a place for everything. Whoa, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Getting older, but I recover. I will, I will. Oh, by the way, let me ask you a question. Uh, this is a study Bible. Not everybody's Bible does this. A lot do. Uh, in front of the Proverbs and in front of the Psalms. Uh, by the way, the Psalms are songs. Most of them written by King David. And at the beginning of the Psalm, if you have a study Bible, it'll tell you who the song's being written to, what it's being written for, and what the tune is that you're supposed to sing it to. Now, we've lost those tunes. We don't know what those are. But we still have the titles. So let me ask you a question. When David writes these words, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. I mean, is David having a good day or what? This is what this psalm was written for. To the chief musician, to the tune of death of a son, a psalm of David. He had just lost his son. And so what he decided is, it's okay to mourn. He spent a time in mourning. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to regret the loss. But if there's not a way out then I will go down to the pit. He talks about being in the pit. Yeah. And so David's way out of this, I will praise you, Lord, with all of my heart. I'm not going to let my heart tell me what it's going to do. I'm telling my heart what I want it to do today. I've just suffered great loss, but I'm going to praise you with all of my heart. I'm going to tell of all the marvelous things you've done. I'm not going to recount the things that I'm discouraged by. I will be filled with joy and not discouragement and depression and death. And I will sing praises to you. May the Lord give it to you today. You made a little bit of a mistake, but it's good. What's your name? Tony. Tony, in Jesus' name. Tony, in Jesus' name. May the Lord fill your heart with joy. May he fill your heart with gladness. May he bring you through the shadow of death. Through and bring you to the top of the mountain. David said, I was in a pit. I cried out to the Lord. He inclined his ear. He heard me, and he lifted me out of a pit, and he put my feet on solid ground. Therefore, I will praise him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Praise Amen. the Lord. Okay. Praise the Lord. Okay. And then let me just give you the contrast real quickly because we use our will for good or evil, right or wrong. Here's the last one, Isaiah 14. This is titled in Isaiah 14, The Fall of Lucifer. Listen to the words. I will, oh, it actually tells the story first. How you were fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, here's his will. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. 
I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, which is the grave, to hell, and to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. This is prophetic now. Prophetic. And consider you saying, here's what people are going to say about Lucifer someday. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms? It actually says this. Is this the one who gave me so much trouble? There will come a day when you will look at him and you will realize this is what I fell for? You use your will to worship yourself, the Lord, or something else. But we were made to worship. We were image bearers, our image bearers. And when it's funny and cute, we do it for teams and sports, hobbies, habits, things that we like. Nothing wrong with that. But when you focus on something and that becomes your identity, then you will dress like that thing. You will act like that thing. Your language becomes that thing. And then you want everybody else to conform their language to your language. What is that? It's a form of worship. You're an image bearer to that thing. You've identified this is who I am. And as a Christ follower, our first and foremost thing is that we identify with Jesus and we bear the image of Jesus so that when we worship, worship is not JJ doing the right songs in the right order, in the right amount of time. Worship is what you walk into this room already image bearing. And then together, we let Jesus shine like never before. Does that make sense? Okay, there's no emotion to this. I thought like, okay, I'm gonna put a song here. Let's demonstrate this. So I don't think this is an emotion. I think this is an act of the will. Because I think you could come in having lost terribly in the stock market and have to make a decision. I am going to worship my face off today. My spouse doesn't want to be with me anymore, but I'm going to be filled with joy today. And I'm going to bear the image of Christ and not the image of loss today. Make sense? Hmm. So Lord, love you. I bless you. God, I put into your hands your people. And Lord, you're going to have to speak about what's true, what's right, what you call us to. Church, I hope today you won't go home and settle with, well, that's not the way that I was raised or I'm just not comfortable doing that. I hope that today you'll challenge yourself and say, I'm a Christ follower and if this is what God wants, then I want to give it to him. If he wants me to raise my hands, I will raise my hands. If he wants me to bow my head, I'll bow my head. If he wants me to sing out loud, I'll sing out loud. And if he wants me to be in contemplative prayer, I'll do whatever he tells me to do because I'm giving this worship as a reflection back to him. But I won't stand on the sidelines and worship myself or the way that I was raised as more important. And if you've never learned to engage your whole heart, I pray that God will give you great bravery to step out and try. If you never worshiped him with your body, 
give it to the Lord. And if it's only been just passion and never your intellect, God wants to engage your intellect. Heavenly Father, speak to us. Give us a church that worships in reality, in spirit and in truth. Lord, we love you and we bless you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen.